All right. So um, again, if you didn't catch earlier, my name is Jamie, and Heidi and I are married, if you didn't put that together either. So it's, we're kind of in a weird season with Pullman Foursquare where I'm on stage a lot, and uh, so I just want you all to know it is my hope that I will be on stage a lot less in the future. And so as you are guests with us and new to town and looking for a place to be planted, know that there is a place for you up here, okay? Everybody's like, ooh, I get the stage. I'm like, well, I'm not exactly saying that, but we'll talk more about that later. We're looking for people to, to fill in with the worship team and to lead and to be a part of things. It'd be so great to have more involved. Um, some things you need to know about me. This is not in my sermon notes at all. Uh, I am kind of silly. I really am. Um, in fact, today may not even show it because my sermon is a little bit serious, but I tend to be silly. Just ask my wife. I I tend to make jokes sometimes and open my mouth and say things that I probably shouldn't have said, and then I later regret it, and then I have to back up and apologize, and that's why we call this a space of grace, right? It's a space of grace for you, but it's really a space of grace for me because I mess up all the time, and I guess that's just really part of being human, and when you talk a lot like I do, you tend to say things you don't mean. So I apologize in advance to everybody I'm about to offend, Okay, so just get that off the table. Um, Also, things you need to know about me is I'm a storyteller. I'm always telling stories. Um, And I was kind of lamenting this morning that my sermon doesn't have a lot of stories in it because we are going to deal with a a verse in the Bible, um, in actually the book of 1 Corinthians, which we have been teaching all summer long. We've been not teaching the verse, but teaching the book. of That would be really boring, wouldn't it? Let's just take this one verse and spend the next six months on it. Now, we've been teaching the book, the whole book of 1 Corinthians, and we've gone through it, and there's just this one passage that um, we have a preaching team, and there are, are two men and, and two women. I am one of the two men, and there are two women um, on this team, and we kind of, you know, I've like, I brought the whole book, and I said, what do you guys want to preach on? And nobody took this one, chickens, and... Uh, Actually, I wanted it for myself. So uh, anyway, it's a, it's a tough passage, and I would like you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to tackle this sucker today, and I'm going to see if I can't squeak some stories in there along the way. Um, but I thought as we get to this, um, I'm going to have my wife come up and read the verse to it. Um, I want you to know that I am extremely passionate about what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I may not look it, because, you know... <laughs> I'm tired. I don't know. I just like ran out of breath. But I am so passionate about this chapter that I actually wanted to really keep this for myself. And uh, so it's a big deal in our culture. It's a big deal in our church. It's a big deal in the church globally. It's dividing people. There's like lines of a war where people are lobbing stuff at each other. And so we want to tackle this puppy. And uh, so I asked my wife to read it. Would you read this for us? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 14, 33b through 24. Aaron's already laughing. As in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Thank you. You know what? The very first sentence on my transcript that I wrote, I I guess I don't know this, but I transcript this because I really try to keep my foot out of my mouth, even though I don't do it real well. The very first words are, how about that for irony? (laughs) Right? How about that for irony? This one verse, well, it's a verse and a half, right? It's a verse and a half because it's the B. It's weird how they broke this one up, but it's like a stick of dynamite, right? 
lit, a lit stick of dynamite that somebody handed you. And it's like a Scooby-Doo cartoon, if you know Scooby-Doo cartoons, or, you know, where they like pass it back and forth, hot potato style, and you're waiting for it to blow up. This thing has just, they drop it right into the middle of things, and it has messed with the image of the church across the world. It has messed with, uh, especially American cultural perspective of the church. What they think of as the church is this. This is, this is how a lot of the culture sees the church because of a verse like this. That women should remain silent and should not speak. They have no place in the church and they should be in submission. So they see us as angry white men, which sadly is sometimes true. <laughs> I've engaged and been a part of, a, been in churches where this has been true, where women have been kept silent and kept uh, in the kitchen, as we, as we like to say, or don't like to say. And uh, they, they, they're making sure everybody's got enough food, and they're, they're doing these things. It's a stereotype because it actually exists. On the other side, though, in the church, and you can take that picture away because he's distracting and makes me feel unha- un, uh, unsafe, um, <laughs> like he's going to attack me. On the other side, in the church, there's a lot of really good-hearted men and women who believe and take this one verse and they build an entire theology on it, and they, they found themselves in it, and they believe that by keeping it to the letter of the law, they have a very wooden, which means inflexible, interpretation of Scripture, and a very literal interpretation of Scripture that every word in every passage is literally what it means, just forgetting about things like imagery and fiction and things like that that are written into the Bible. They, they see it as very literal, and they're, like I said, they're good-hearted people, they love Jesus, and they believe that they are living a holy life by living this out perfectly and in all ways and in all places. Women being quiet and living in submission. And that's where you see things like the Amish, you know, they wear the dresses and the special clothing and the Mennonites, the women have their heads covered. And uh, even, you know, the, some of the Baptist churches and things like that, they live this out saying, look, this is God's uh, way of saying to the world what holiness looks like. But the church really is split on this and along kind of two lines. One side says that women should have full access to all areas of ministry in the church, should have full access to microphones and stages and teaching of men and women and children alike. And, and then there's the other side that says they should not be seen. They should not be seen or heard. You know, they, they keep them hidden away. The reason this is really important to me is because, well, partly, I'm a part of a denomination that believes that women have equal access to all the gifts that God has given and that women should have the power and the authority within the church to preach, to teach, to evangelize, to heal, to uh, raise the sick and the dead, and to do all of these things. They've been gifted and they've been released. Our denomination was founded by a woman of all the denominations of the world. I think it's the only one. It was founded by a woman, and that really upsets some people in, within the church. I'm also really passionate about it because uh, at one time, I lost a job because I believed in this, and, and as a pastor, it wasn't the only reason, and I don't want to make it up that big. It wasn't the only reason, but it was one of the reasons that I lost a job because my wife is called to be a pastor. She is gifted as a pastor. She is more gifted than I am as a pastor, let's be honest about it. And she was beginning to serve and to grow, and the senior leadership says, we don't understand why your wife thinks she should have the authority in the church when it says women should remain silent. This is really important to me because God has given my wife to me as a gift, as a partner, as a helpmate, and she is gifted, and I want to see her thrive and grow and become everything that God has called her to be. 
And God has also placed me as a pastor in a church. And right now, this church is full of people from the age of three to the age of 80-something. It's like fuzzy out at that end. We'll just say 80-something. We've got people who are Native American. We have people who are from Africa. We have people who are Asian. We have people, are you guys from Africa too? Uh, maybe, I don't know. We've got people who are, are Hispanic descent. We have college students who are in their 20s. We have people who have come out of addictions and out of all sorts of things in the past that have led them to be broken and hurting. And we've also got white people. And we've, I mean, it's just all of these people of different colors, nations, nationalities, cultural heritages, and broken backgrounds, and every single one of us, in one way or another, have been disqualified by the standards of the culture to preach or to teach or to serve in any way. And what has happened because of this, and because of verses like this, when we interpret them extremely literally, we take half the church, if we just look at men and women, we take half the church and say, I'm sorry, you are not qualified to serve the kingdom of God. You have to serve in quiet ways. You have to serve in the background. You have to support the men of the church. And we do it with other cultures and races and nationalities. And I'm passionate about this because I want to see every single one of you rise up and experience the fullness of the power of God operating in you as you step out into every good work that he has called you to. You are not disqualified. Can I say that again? I got one like kind of weakish amen and it was from my wife and she's supposed to do that. This is something else you need to know about me. I like people talking back, like not full sentences, you know, <laughs> preferably not full like paragraphs because that gets me really confused. But just, you know, like, whoa, that's a new thought and I want that. That's a good, that we can say, you know, amen or yahoo or Woohoo, we've used woohoo in the past is really good. You don't have to use amen if you're not like from a church background. Um, so if uh, you're like, that sounded really exciting to me. I don't know if I buy it yet, but I want in on, I am not disqualified and I want to walk in everything that God has for me. Let's give that a, like, let's go with a woohoo. Is a woohoo okay with everybody? Yeah. All right, let's go with woohoo. There you go. We'll get there, you know, We're, we'll keep working on it. It's a work in progress. All right, so. Uh, I just got really passionate. I told a story that wasn't in my notes, and now I've got to figure out where the heck I've been. Oh, you know, the other thing about this is with women and men, we see that women actually have to leave the United States in order to serve in their gifts. It's a really bizarre thing. But in a lot of churches, they say, I'm sorry, ma'am, I know you're gifted as a pastor. This is Pastor Janice right here. I'd like to introduce you to her. <laughs> yes. She's pretty awesome. She's our associate pastor. You've served in this church for 20 years this year. You guys know that? <laughs> That's insane. 20 years this year, and then I'm celebrating 10, and so it's kind of like a double party, but you got twice on me, so we should have a party. <laughs> anyway, Pastor Janice, what was I even saying? Oh, so she's all gifted as a pastor, and what happens is she's like, I want to serve, and they see the roles that she's trying to, and in order to serve in those roles, she has to leave the United States and become a missionary because men aren't willing to go on the mission field. Well, there, if there was men on the mission field, you wouldn't be able to do this, but you can go. Can you believe this actually happens in the world? It's, this is how it works. And so I'm really passionate because I want to see people set free to serve here. But I also want to admit to you that for a very long time, I have engaged this issue primarily on a practical level. Like, I think that women should be able to serve in ministry. So we're just going to skip the second half of Corinthians 14 instead of preaching on it. 
So we're going to skip some of these passages. I didn't engage it on a theological level. Or like, what was Paul trying to say? What was going on that he said this? But I just want, we're just going to let it happen. And, you know, if God's going to bless it if he's in it, and if he's not in it, well, then at least the culture thinks we're great. And that is not a good way to roll. Because this whole series has been about untangling culture from the church. And I want you to know that the critique of what I'm about to say today is just that. That people would say that I am more concerned about what the culture says than what the Bible says. And I want you to know that is not true. The worst accusation you could ever level at me is that I am unbiblical. (laughs) I mean, I don't live biblically all the time because I'm a human being. I just be straight about that. But I try. And I believe deeply that this is God's inherent word. Okay? that this is alive and active and living, that this is truth, that this is holy, this is sacred, and I approach this with a whole lot of humility because what I say today, I hope, will explain this passage and help you be free and not be disqualified and to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. So let's look at the passage. And I think to do this, we actually have to look at the whole passage. We can't just look at the one verse. That's the first problem right there. If we just take that one verse, we're in trouble already, okay? So we want to take it from the bigger t- context of what Paul is stating. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through the end of the chapter. It's a little bit long, so uh, read with me on the screen. Open your Bibles. Engage with this. Like Underline, highlight. This is, this is God's word, and he's speaking to you right now. In fact, he may speak to you tangentially. I got that word out. That's a miracle right there. Tangentially. That just means like you might read something, and God goes, whoa. And he's like, that's not what he's talking about, but that's okay. That's what God spoke to you, so listen to it. All right, slow down, Jamie. (sighs) Guys, I'm a little bit nervous. You guys are all staring at me. (laughs) I've been preaching for over 20 years, and you made me nervous. What'd you do? It's the topic. Okay. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? Building up. I'll say, I'll ask a question in the middle every now and then, and so the expectation is you fill in the blank, okay? So let's try that again. Let all things be done for what? Building. Building up. There you go. Making sure you're with me. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only one or two, at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent. Underline keep silent. Not for your sake, because I don't want you to keep silent, but because that's actually really key for this passage. Let them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. As in all the churches. So now we come to the sticky passage. As in all the churches. The women should keep silent. There's that phrase again. The women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, circle that word, key passage, key word, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for the woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones who it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are commended of the Lord. 
If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. How many of you are encouraged now? Yes. It's strange. It just doesn't feel encouraging when you read it like that. Yeah. Would you pray with me for just a second? I just feel like I need to slow down. I'm like, again, I feel like I'm so passionate about this. And I know you guys, some of the women are nervous right now. I see it. And some of the men are looking at me waiting for me to be a heretic. So um, I just need to pray and really invite the Holy Spirit into this moment. So, Father, God, give me grace and give me humility as I seek to share what you've placed in my heart this morning. Give us the courage to walk in the good works that you have prepared for each of us. The good works that you prepared before we were um, born, before we found ourselves here in Pullman, Washington on Sunday, August whatever today is, <laughs> August 11th, um, before our place and time in history, these things that you have set out for us, big things and little things, great and small, give us the grace and the power to walk in those. God, give us the grace and the power to love you just a little bit more this morning, to trust your goodness a little bit more this morning to trust your heart for us this morning and to love those around us just a little bit better. God, I pray that you would release this church from disqualifications. God, for, from every reason and every fear that has held them back from walking in the fullness of what you have for them, give them the grace and the power and the humility to walk in it this morning too. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's tackle the passage. It's not actually specifically about women at all when you read it in context. It's about God, really, right? It's about the worship of our King. It is about the worship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on a cross and rose again from the dead. It's about the gospel and the good news that we have received, which is transforming and changing our lives. And it is how we engage with it as a church and how we live and operate in community Operating in the gifts and the power of the Spirit as He has poured them out on us. That's what this is really all about. And even more specifically, it's about this gathering, this here, this space. It's about worship. And even more specifically, it's really about a gathering just like us, but in the first century, <laughs> and in a town called Corinth, which is in modern-day Turkey. It is written very specifically to some very specific people with some very specific circumstances that were going on in their very specific church, in their day, in their age, in their time. But there is eternal truth in here for us this morning. Something was going on then that Paul felt like he needed to address. In this whole book, Paul says, I as a spiritual father am bringing these corrections and rebukes, not to shame you, not to shut you down, but to encourage you that you may be built up, that you may grow up right? And we've talked about this over the summer. That's the whole point. Every week, it's like, grow up, guys. Just grow up. I would just want you to grow up. And so he is tackling this sticky thing that's going on in the church. And it's hard to understand what it is because we don't have the questions. We don't have the background. All we have is his instructions. The clues, though, seem to be in the circumstance. In verse 26, we see how people are using the gifts that Paul actually commanded us to eagerly desire tongues and prophecy and things like that, they're using them in the church. That's exciting. 
<laughs> like, this church is alive. It's bubbling. You come to church and people are like, praise God from whom all the... You know, they're like lifting their hands. They're speaking in tongues. They're prophesying. They're praying for each other. There's healings going on. There's all kinds of amazing spiritual gifts happening. But guess what else is going on? Chaos. Because it's happening all at one time. Right? Have you ever been in a kindergarten classroom? Where the teacher says, who knows the answer to one plus one? And you've got kids that look like they're going to potty their pants. There's kids standing on the desk. They're running around. They're jumping. I know, I know. And everybody is talking at the same time. And the teacher has to get all control of the class, right? When it's like that, the teacher has to take the reins. Whoa. Okay, everybody sit down. We're going to calm down. Now, who knows the answer? Raise your hand. And you get one hand. And you answer. How many people get to answer at one time? Usually one And that's what's going on here. It's like a kindergarten classroom with all of these spiritual gifts and this power and this exuberance and this excitement, and everybody is talking over one another. And then on top of that, you've got this cultural problem weaving in. And it's not a cultural problem that's old or new or dead. There's the word I'm looking for. It's not a cultural problem that's dead. It's something that still happens today. It's called politics, right? We want, naturally as human beings, to kind of be on the top of the pile, and so people are using their spiritual gifts, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, or 12 and 13, to kind of one-up one another. Well, I'm better than you because I speak a word of prophecy. And people can understand prophecy because it's in English, not in whatever that is you're speaking. And then you got another person that, man, I really wish I spoke in tongues, but I don't speak in tongues. She's got these words of wisdom for people that profoundly changed their lives, but she doesn't speak in tongues. And they're going, well, you're clearly not spirit-filled, ma'am. Not like me. So we get these people who are all talking over one another, and the attempt is to look better than one another, to build themselves up and not build the church up. And that's what Paul is addressing. They speak whatever they feel God has placed on their heart. And it's a place where people are operating in spiritual gifts, but being spiritually gifted does not mean that you are mature. Remember this? Just because you have a gift does not make you mature. And you have to grow up in the use of that gift. And that is what Paul is addressing. That we've got a group of people here who are using their gifts, whether it is a speaking gift, a tongues gift, or a prophecy gift, who are not yet mature. And they're jumping over the top of one another. And he says, stop it, one at a time. And everybody else needs to be silent. One at a time. Everybody else be silent. So this is going on, and you know what happens is this woman named Chloe, who is an elder in the church, who is a leader in the church, writes to her friend Paul, who planted the church and says, Paul, we've got a mess. We've got these people who are speaking in tongues, and they're just doing it over and over again, and nobody's interpreting, and nobody knows what they're saying, and people are weirding out, and they're leaving. They don't even make it to the sermon. They like get through worship, and they're like, I'm out. They never hear the gospel. And we've got people who are prophesying, and they're prophesying loudly at one another, and they're prophesying to the person in the front row saying, you must be sick and have sin in your life, and thus says the Lord, you need to get that sin out of your life so that you can stop being sick. And then you got another person in the back standing up and saying, thus says the Lord, I didn't say that. That actually happened in a church I heard recently. Thus says the Lord, I didn't say that. And then you've got women who have no clue what they're talking about, who barely know the gospel at all, who have no learning whatsoever getting up and speaking in the church. What are we to do about this, Paul? And he says, slow down, one at a time. Everybody else is to remain silent. 
That's what's going on in this passage. He's taking on the noise and the chaos of the service. He's taking on people who are unlearned. That's, what, that's why Paul goes on to say, look, these women, they should remain silent. And if they want to learn something, learn from their husband. And you know what? This is a radical statement because in his culture, women didn't learn. Women weren't put into the pipeline of leaders. Women weren't set on the, the discipleship pathway. Grow up in your discipleship. Paul's like, no, they need to learn. Their husbands have heard this stuff. Let their husbands teach them. Now, some of you are going, okay, that's a plausible explanation. But why would you explain it that way? Well, I want to give you a couple reasons. First of all, if we just take this to mean that women should all remain silent, then it contradicts what Paul already said in 1 Corinthians. Okay? I hate contradictions in the Bible. How many of you like contradictions in the Bible? Yeah. It's like culture hates contradictions in the Bible, right? That's what I hate about Christianity. You read this Bible, and it says one thing here and one thing there, and they're like, which one is it? And they contradict each other, so it can't be true. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. It's just misinterpretation. In 1 Corinthians, uh, let's see, I've just kind of run over myself in my notes, so I'm going to have to figure out where it was now. It's back in chapter 11, and you're going to want to look at this. Verse, is it behind me? It's one of those moments, is it behind me? <laughs> but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors, dishonors her head. Okay, there's all kinds of confusing stuff about that, right? Praying, prophesying with her head uncovered. But the point is this. Paul is giving women instructions on praying and prophesying. So why would he give those instructions if two chapters later he's going to say, and shut up? <laughs> now, if you're going to pray and prophesy, make sure you got your head covered. And now, just don't do that. Don't pray and prophesy. Paul was instructing women on how to do this stuff, so he can't be saying both. Another reason I think that this passage needs to be interpreted in the way that I've proposed is because of the great arc of Scripture, from the beginning to the end of Scripture. You have to look at the big picture, not just one verse, but the big picture, and we're going to go right back to my favorite place in the whole Bible that everybody said... Everybody that's local said, Genesis, yeah. I love the book of Genesis. But Genesis chapter 2, it shows God making Adam and Eve, right? We have God. God makes the lonely Adam. He's the only, not A-T-O-M-A-D-A-M, the lonely Adam. And he's there, and he's the only one like him in the whole world. He's the only one that doesn't have a partner, that doesn't have a helpmate. It's just supposed to be him and God. But God says, you know what? I, am, I have community in myself, but Adam doesn't have community. He needs a partner. And so God takes a rib from Adam's where? Side. Not from his head, which would signify that she is over him. Not from his ankle, which would signify that she is his footstool. But from his side as a partner. And he takes and makes this woman, and he says about the woman, for this reason shall the man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And then he says, and the two shall be one flesh, not a king and a servant, not a queen and a servant. The two shall be one flesh, united they're equal, co-equal, walking together in the fullness of love that God has designed us for. But then the fall happens, right? And what happens when man and woman fall, when sin enters the world, God says, the man shall now lord over you. And this isn't a prescription by God. This is, what, this is now what I want to have happen now from now on. His intent was 
co-equal, but sin broke the relationship between men and women, and now men try to lord over women. And that's the broken state that we have lived in for centuries, for millennia, where men have tried to dominate society and to keep women, half of our population, from rising up to their full potential. And it's not what God intended. And so when God's his rescue plan starts coming into play, when he starts to make a people, we start to see women rising up to the surface. We start to see, we got some pictures. Where's it, where's it come? Where's my pictures? Where's my pictures? Here it is. Okay, we got Deborah. I mean, this was a long time ago, so I know this is an old picture. But she was a judge in Judges chapter 4, and she judged the people, a woman. She also drove a nail through a guy's head. Pretty creepy, bloody story. Highly recommended if you're in middle school. Just saying. Here we got somebody you guys may not know much about. Her name is Hulda. Anybody want to name your child after her? Okay, hero of the faith for women. She was a prophetess, okay? And she prophesied to the king of Israel, okay? And people listened. They would gather and listen to this prophetess, a woman, preaching the word of God. Then we have Queen Esther, who like wasn't even sure God was going to use her at all, but she was used to save her entire people. And then we have Mex- in, in Mexodus? Mexodus. That's like Mexi fries. It's like Taco Bell. We have Miriam in the book of Exodus. She's a prophetess and the first worship leader. Okay? They go across the, the water and she's out there at the head with her tambourine. Okay? Nobody should play the tambourine. But she's playing the tambourine and she's prophesying and she's praising God and leading all the people in it. And you come to the New Testament, you have Mary, the very first person to preach the gospel. God begins to use women. And it is not the norm. I will grant you that. It is not the norm. It is the exception. But God is speaking in the exception. He is restoring what was broken. And then we have Jesus come, dies on the cross, resurrected to new life. And everything that is broken now begins to get set right. Isn't that good news? Everything that is broken now begins to set right. Everything that was disqualified is being made new. I, I don't know how this is being made new with my hands. It's just happened. Everything that was, was labeled bad egg, rejected, thrown to the side, not worthy, everything that was labeled as unlovely, unholy, has now been made righteous and holy in Jesus Christ. Amen? Woo-hoo? See, I told you I was passionate about this. So the church is upside down, okay, from the culture. Or maybe the culture is upside down from the church. I had a discussion about this this morning. Is the glass half full, half empty? I don't know. But it's upside down. Because women are suddenly prophesying, praying, speaking in tongues. And you know when it happens? It happens in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And all of a sudden, Peter, this dirty, unlearned fisherman, walks out on a porch and he preaches the sermon of his life. And thousands come to faith. And you know what he quotes? He quotes the prophet Joel. He quotes the prophet Joel. So this is Old Testament and New Testament. Now I've got to find it because there it is. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter says that's what's happening right now. That God's spirit is being poured on us. And it's, this is what happens. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. There's a lot of men in that passage, but it says daughters too. And you know what these other people are? They're all the disqualified people. They're all the disqualified people. Sons and daughters, they're just kids. They should be in children's church, not praying for people to be healed. 
They should be in children's church, not praying and receiving a vision from God from somebody who needs encouragement. When we were in, in, in Boise this couple weeks ago doing our mission trip with some folks, it was amazing to me. We had Ashlyn, who was uh, eight, and Amelia, who was eight, and they were together. We were praying. We were like, God, would you just show us who you want us to encourage? And those two little girls, like, they had visions, and they was like, no big deal, whatever. You know, I'm like, well, I think I see a blonde person. I doubt it, but I think I do. And Amelia goes... I see a blonde woman with short hair, and she's wet, you know, like, like really specific, and she's just like, no big deal. She's having visions, and we went out, and we found that woman, and we got to pray for her and encourage her in the Lord. Disqualified. Children. And then you have young men. Young men are too young to be leading the church, right? Shouldn't have young pastors. They don't have the experience. They shouldn't have a a, a dream for for their life yet. They haven't earned it. Old men, your time has now passed. You've crossed 40. Your time has now passed. You know what the average age is in this town? 22 years old, okay? That is the median age. I am seriously old at 44. And some of you are going, you're 44? Oh my gosh, how did you get to be that old? And The disqualified people are filled with the Spirit and qualified for God's work. Men, women, all races, all nations, all colors, all creeds, if you have been told no, God says yes. Hmm. I got an amen there. It's insane. So clearly Peter believed that that's what was going on. But it goes on. This is the Ark of Scripture, remember? Galatians 3.28, this is Paul. Paul himself, Paul who said the women should remain silent. You know what he says? Now, therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's two different races that have been in enmity for generations. There is neither slave nor free. Holy cow, do we have history with those two. There is neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, and the two should be made one flesh. We've been made one flesh. This is, what the, this is what God's doing, ladies and gentlemen. So the question is, why would he forbid them to speak? It's because they were unlearned. They weren't ready yet. It wasn't their turn. But now it's your turn. It is your turn. Women, it is your turn. Young women, It is your turn. The Holy Spirit is for you, and he is gifting you and setting you free to walk in the fullness of everything that he has for you, every good work, every good deed. It is your turn. People of minority, color, races, nationalities, it is your turn. We do not have the luxury of setting people on the bench. This world is too big, The problem is too big, too great. It's not too great for our God, but it needs everybody on deck. It is your turn to stand up and be counted amongst the saints, to walk in the fullness of your gifting, to reach the lost, to serve the poor, the sick, to heal, to encourage all of these things. It is your turn. Men, the number one problem I have with allowing women to speak in church is this that the men often remain silent. Men have gotten lazy in the church today. Not just our church, but the church at large. 
That's a hard word because I'm one of you. We have backed off and said, oh, no, no, they've got it. We backed off, oh, they can do it. I'm going to focus on my career. Career is important. Career is a part of your calling. But it does not release you from walking in the fullness of what God has gifted you for. Men, it is your turn. It is your turn to stand up and to allow God to use you. That is the challenge of this passage. The challenge is not that women need to be silent. The challenge is not that they need to submit. The challenge is that we need to submit to God's plan for our lives and to walk in the fullness of it and not disqualify ourselves. Because that's what we do, right? Well, they don't need me. I'm an introvert. So I don't really like talking to people. So I'm just going to sit quietly here. I'm, you know, I'm not like those other people. They don't want me on stage. They don't, I don't look that way. I've got a broken past. If you knew, Pastor, what my history looked like, if you knew what my family was like, you wouldn't want, wouldn't want me to do these things. You might be right. <laughs> Just frankly, you might be right. But you know what? I'm not God. I'm a perfectionist. And that doesn't mean, you know, I, mean I, I say that, and my wife's always like, you're not a perfectionist. The things you do just don't look that great. And I'm like, you know what it means to be a perfectionist? What it means to be a perfectionist is that I think I can do it better than you. And when I do it, it's perfect for me. And so I stop and I, I, I wind up keeping people out. You know, oh, you can't do that. I disqualify people because they don't do it like me. And I want to apologize to anybody that I have said no to. And that's not to say there's free reign. Everybody just preach. You know, everybody jump into these things. No, you need to learn. You need to take your turn. You need to grow. Grow up in the faith. Grow up in your gifts. But there is space for you to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. And to learn and to grow and to make messes and make mistakes and give it a try. My boss tells me this all the time. Just make mistakes. Make messes. It sounds like magic school bus or something. If you're, you know, from, the Mer- from America and grew up with magic school bus, make messes and mistakes. You know, they say that all the time. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be messy. And I'm always, like, wanting to clean it up. I'm sorry. God has something for you. You are not disqualified. I can't say that of everywhere, but I can say it here. You are not disqualified here. And I want to empower you this morning. You've been given gifts. Use them. You're going to make mistakes. I said something that ticked somebody off a couple weeks or allowed something to happen just a couple weeks ago that like blew up on Facebook. Don't go look. <laughs> and I'm like, what did I even do? I made a mistake. I'm sorry. We can move on because there's grace. And God has gifted me. He's gifted you. He's empowered you. You are so full of the Spirit and you don't even know it. And He just wants you to take one little step and watch as He just unfolds all of His goodness. That's one of my favorite lines from the Prince of Egypt, that Exodus cartoon. And He says, They shall behold all my wonders. You know, it's like, man, God would say something like that. And He's saying it to you right now. It's like, just take a step and you're going to behold all of His wonders. So my question to you this morning I could have taken an hour to talk about this, (laughs) but we didn't. We got enough time. What's stopping you? What is it? What is stopping you? Well, pastor, I'm a middle school girl. 
you don't know middle school girl life. You're right, I don't. Thank God I don't know what it is like to be a middle school girl. But I was once a middle school boy, and I'll tell you, it's hard. That's what's stopping me. I'm this. What's stopping me is I'm old. What's stopping me is I'm too young. What's stopping me is I'm scared. What's stopping me is I'm not socially capable. What's stopping me is I'm Hispanic. What's stopping me is I'm not from this country. What's stopping me is that I'm a woman. What's stopping you this morning? Can we take a minute and just sit in silence and allow the Spirit to speak to us in that? What's stopping you? This morning, I believe that there may be a group of people here today who have not just disqualified themselves from serving the Lord, from ministering, like teaching Sunday school or making coffee or greeting or preaching or leading worship or any of these things. They've disqualified themselves from the love of God. That God can't possibly love me as much as he loves the person over there. God can't possibly love me with my history and you've kind of bumped on the outside of things, you've come to church occasionally, you're starting over, maybe you want to come and see if maybe you can find a way to be a better person at church. I don't know. But God is speaking to you this morning, and he says, you are not disqualified from my love. You are not disqualified from my love. And if you're in that place this morning, we just, let's all just kind of, this is a holy moment. Let's just close our eyes, bow our heads for a moment, because we want to give space for somebody to respond. Here's the thing. When we move our physical bodies, something changes in our hearts. And so we're going to need to move on this. You can't leave it aside. If you're in that place, you've been in that place, you've been wondering, does God love me? I don't know if I'm lovable. I'm struggling inside with this. If that is you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So this is all right. I'm going to pray for you right now. Would everybody just lift up your hands uh, to pray for these folks? God, I, I know, I know the weight of shame, the weight of guilt. God, the weight of, of just feeling disqualified, of not being chosen for the game, of not being chosen for things. And God, when it comes to your love, it's the greatest thing of all. And so to feel unlovable and unworthy is the worst feeling that I can imagine. And right now, Father, I pray that your love would sweep over these three or four, that you would fill them with your grace and your goodness, and that they would know that they are loved as much as they can possibly be loved. God, that they are loved so much that you would sacrifice yourself for them and say, I love you, and that you want to know them. Jesus, pour your salvation into them right now. In your name, amen. Now, I think there's some others here that have been called and chosen by God to step and walk. Actually, everybody has been. I have prepared good works for you in advance that you might walk in them. 
And some of us are thinking, oh, well, it's, it's a mission trip. That's a big leap. It's really, it's like, no, it's just saying, God bless you today. You know, God's present with you. He loves you. It's just giving somebody a hug. It's just stepping out of yourself a little bit more. It's just saying yes to serving. It's giving God your yes. It's getting to that place to say, God, before you even ask me, whatever you're going to ask me, my answer will be yes. Big or small, scary or not scary, whatever you're going to ask, because I can see it in your eyes, God. You've got a question for me. My answer is going to be yes. And you have said no for a long time. You disqualified yourself for a lot of reasons. Because I'm a woman, because I'm a man, because I'm this, because I'm that. And if you are in that camp, you have disqualified yourself for some reason, and you want to make that statement this morning that, God, right now, whatever it is you're going to call me to, my answer is going to be yes. Every head bowed, eyes closed, so we're not embarrassing anybody, calling anybody out, because this isn't to shame anyone. It's to call you up. Would you just raise your hand? If you have said no and you want to walk in that fullness, come on, folks. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, we've disqualified ourselves. And you have something for us, and we want to say yes. So God, right now, I pray that your spirit be poured out on these people, your sons and your daughters, your old men and your young men, your women and your men, your nationalities, all that you've created, this beautiful rainbow of people, that you would fill them with your goodness and your gifts, that they may walk in them, and that their yes would be a yes for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last thing, and we're going to end with the doxology and not sing it really boring-like. The women were to remain silent because they were not yet learned. And that means we need to grow up, right? All of us need to grow up. My goal in preaching sermons to you is not to get you fired up or excited or to feel bad, to go home feeling like, oh, I'm so sinful. It's just to help you love Jesus a little bit more and to love your neighbor a little bit better. And when to do that, we got to grow up in him. And so one of the things that we do here at Pullman Foursquare is we invite you into discipleship. We invite you to grow, and we have ways that you can grow. And I want to invite you to jump into a small group in a few weeks. In September, they're going to start. I want to invite you to join Rooted, and it is a cool class. It's going to be led by our very own Sarah Merrick and her husband, Curtis Merrick. They are fabulous people. Rooted is awesome. It gets you rooted in the Word and rooted in habits and behaviors of growing in your faith, and you're going to try things, and you're going to be offered chances. God's going to be like, hey, will you step out and do this? And you'll be like, yeah, Remember, I already said my answer is yes, and you're going to be able to do it, and you're going to see God come alive in your life. Join us for Rooted, small group, or EHS. This is going to help you develop habits to go deep beneath the surface of your life. We're not just surface disciples around here. We're not like, well, I look good at church on Sunday. We look good with Jesus in us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because it's his grace that walks in us, and we go deep, and we walk in the fullness of what God has for us. So join us for EHS. I'm going to teach it this year, and it's going to be really awesome, and that'll happen in October. Um, So those things are coming up. There's information at the back table, and uh, with that, would you stand up with me? Especially you, Doug. I keep looking at you. Boom. So one of the things that we do here is we join in an ancient tradition of the church throughout time and memorial, and we sing this ancient prayer. It's called the doxology, which is Greek, 
and it means something that I don't know what it means, but it's a, it's a worship song, <laughs> and we're going to sing that together. We sing it just our voices. We, we sing it plain. We sing it loud. We sing it with our hearts that we want to praise God. We're calling all creation to praise God with us for what he's doing in us. Does that make sense? So will you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's give it a Pentecostal amen. Amen. Go in the grace of the Lord and His power, knowing you are not disqualified to walk in every good thing that He has set before you. Amen. Get to know somebody today. Meet, greet, go to lunch.